Hey, Next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning into this segment of the show. I really appreciate all your support. If you're enjoying the show, please go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. You'll see a tab to vote right there on their homepage. Stay up to date with our guest schedule by going online to nextonthetea.net. I really appreciate you. Enjoy the segment. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. You guys know my buddies and I. We went up there for our annual golf trip, and it was simply amazing. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant is called The Craig. It had outstanding food and great service. And the course lived up to every expectation that we had for it. I can't say enough great things about the place. Go online, folks, to themacklemore.com to see for yourself how spectacular it is. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And one of my guests tonight, PJ Tour caddy Kip Henley, said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by going online and checking out the resort at themacklemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. Okay, now back in making his fifth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is one of the all-time great ball strikers, Tim Simpson. Tim is from here in Atlanta, played his college golf at the University of Georgia, where he lettered in 1975 and 76. During his time there, Tim was named All-SEC, All-American, and a college All-Star. He turned pro in 1977. He won four times on the PGA Tour at the 1985 Southern Open, the 1989 USF&G Classic, and back-to-back years at the Walt Disney World Oldsmobile Open in 89 and 90. He also won the Georgia Open five times and the Casserole World Championship over in France. He was named the Comeback Player of the Year in 1989. He had two top 10 finishes in majors, both coming in 1990 at the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. That year, he was named the Georgia Professional Athlete of the Year. In 2004, he was inducted into the State of Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. 2006, he was inducted into the Georgia State Golf Association Hall of Fame and named Comeback Player of the Year on the Champions Tour. He's a great guy, and I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tim, how are you, my friend? I'm fantastic, Chris. Great to be with you again. Tim, I got to be honest, after the last time you and I communicated, I got very encouraged. It seemed like you were starting to feel better physically, and maybe there's some more golf in your future. Give us an update. How are you feeling, my friend? Well, I'm feeling better. Uh, I guess as good as a guy that's had three back surgeries could be, but uh, I think when I was on your show last year, it had been uh, close to four years since I played, and uh, as of now, it's been Four years, 11 months, but nine days ago, I played nine holes with two of my young juniors and their dad that I work with, and uh, oh my gosh, it was just fantastic. The back didn't like the driver, but, uh, you know, the two kids were, you know, they're 11 and 14, and I'm not sure they knew the significance of it 
to me, but they're such wonderful kids, and I teach them, and it's like I wanted to give them a gift. If I could play again, I wanted to be with them, and they got to see a few Simpson iron shots, so it was fun. Are you feeling well enough to say, you know what, hey, I might be able to get out there and play once in a while now? Well, you know, that's that, that's my wish and my prayer. You know, I don't ever care to play again competitively, even on a state level. I mean, I'm 65 now. But um, to be able to play with my granddaughters or friends or my students, you know, that's what it's about to me. Because as you know, you know, uh, if you hadn't played at the highest level, you can't really teach course management. No matter how great a teacher you are of the golf swing or the short game, you know, you've got to be able to, to show them how you got to be a top player. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's thrilling for me. And they're coming, you know, they're coming along fantastic. I'm really, really excited about them. Chip, I want to go back to your time in college. I've had the privilege of having your roommate Chip Beck on the show a couple of times over the last 12 months. And uh, I know you guys had a great relationship. Talk about what you remember about teaming up with Chip. Uh, Chip and I were roommates, as you said, and, and he is absolutely one of the finest humans God ever created. And uh, I can honestly say that in our entire good gracious, it's, believe it or not, like 47 years of golf together. Um, there has never been one second of jealousy between us. Um, I can remember uh, he was leading the LA Open. I, w- I won before he did on tour, and he was leading the LA Open. His brother Albert was caddying for me, and they called me and asked me would I go to dinner with him. With him, and I said sure. And uh, Chip was using the restroom, and Albert said, "Tim, he is scared to death." Not scared to play bad, just nervous. And uh, we talked it out, and I said, it's your time. You're going to win. And I was kind of middle of the field, uh, didn't play great that week, and caught a courtesy card to the airport. And I was uh, walking to the gate when he tapped in on 18, and I just started falling. And, Tim, the times that I've got to spend with Chip, he has never had anything but positivity coming out of whatever he has to say the guy is just the the most positive person on the planet even when we were talking about the Ryder cup at kiwa and the bugs that were getting all over them biting them getting in their mouths all that sort of stuff he had something positive to say about that talk about chip's positivity well you know i've been i've been asked for forever is chip really as positive as they say and i said we'll put it this way if he cut his hand off or his arm off in an accident today, and I found out about it and called him in the in the hospital room, he'd say, I've been swinging the club one-handed, and I swear that other arm was hindering me all these years. <laughs> <laughs> That's how positive Chip is. I mean, there, there is nothing on earth that he's not positive about, you know. Uh you know, I mean, it, it, we'd be at a tournament and it would be a thousand degrees, you know, like Memphis or somewhere, the hundred percent humidity and a hundred degrees and everybody be complaining and Chip would be like, man, I love this. It loosens me up so good. Wonderful man. One of the greatest humans God ever created, in my opinion. 
Tim, I want to get your thoughts on rivalries out on tour. A lot is being made right now about the Brooks and Bryson rivalry. I know with social media, this stuff kind of gets blown up out of proportion at times. Did you ever have to deal with anything like that? Did you see any rivalries when you were out playing on tour that maybe we didn't hear about because social media wasn't a thing back then? You know what? I, there might have been in my generation, but I don't remember them per se. You know, it wasn't like, you know, Norman and Watson or something like that. The one that sticks out to me was uh, Paul Azinger and Seve Ballesteros, where I believe it was the Ryder Cup you're talking about at Kiowa, where Azinger just basically said he cheated. And from that day on, there was no love lost between those two. Uh, that, that's one that sticks out in my mind. Tim, when you first got out on tour, I don't think Metal Woods had become a thing yet. TaylorMade came out with the first ones, I believe, in 1979. When did you first start testing Metal Woods, and when did you make the switch over and put one into play? I can remember Ron Streck from Oklahoma uh, signed with TaylorMade when TaylorMade was just a startup company, and he had one on the range at the Texas Open in San Antonio, and I'm like, what in the heck is that thing? It, it looked like, you know, the old metal drivers from the driving ranges, you know, that were, you know, just, you know, just built to last kind of deal. And I thought, I thought it was crazy. And then I, Mizuno made a great uh, metal head called an MSX. And they also had a, a, a one plus wood which we used as a fairway wood, and you couldn't hit it real high, but man alive, this thing, you could hit 250-yard three-woods back when 230, 235 was long, the old ball and stuff. And that's what I did all my winning with in 89 and 90. You know, I won three times and lost two playoffs. It was with Mizuno uh, Woods. And they were, Dr. Joe Braley, who created the precision shaft, explain to me why they were superior. They're basically a metal, a wood version or metal wood version of a perimeter weighted iron. And Karsten had explained to me years earlier why perimeter weighting made the club more forgiving. So Dr. Braley then explained to me when the metal heads came out how they created a horseshoe effect at impact. And if you watch an ultra slow motion, not not on your phone, but ultra slow motion, you know, the head does tremendous distortions, vibrations of frequency at impact. And what the metal head did was it was like a horseshoe and it went back and it like ricocheted off that and the head would stay straight coming through. Whereas you would look at that with a persimmon headed wood and it would just be violent distortion. So, I mean, there was no doubt they went straight, no doubt. Tim, were you always custom fit for your clubs during your college and pro days, or when did you first get professionally fit? Well, you know, professional fitting back then was totally different than now. You know, amateurs laugh at me now when I tell them, you know, the way we did it, if I was playing with a new shaft and, and trying a different tipping, having them cut the a half an inch shorter, which stiffened it and 
this and that, you and I were buddies or Chip was on the range, and I'd say, Chipper, come here for a second. Watch this. See if this ball is spinning to you. How's this ball flying? You know, there were no such things as, uh, you know, uh, launch monitors back then that, that gave spin rate, you know, and, and that's how you played it. And, and, you know, when I was on the Champions Tour, I think it was the year before my career and in injuries, obviously I lived down here at Lake Oconee still, and uh, they had the TaylorMade Kingdom over at Reynolds. And I went over there, and they're, when I hit my driver, they're like, Timbo, you're kidding us, right? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, this thing is spinning like 2,300. And I'm like, so? They're like, do you know how much yardage you're losing? I said, did you not see where I finished in driving accuracy? I finished third, and I think they messed up. I should have won. I said, you know, I don't care if you give me a driver I can hit 15 yards farther, but it goes in the woods, you know. I want something that goes straight. So, yeah, it was totally different back then. Totally different. Tim, we've heard a lot about how much better the golf ball is now versus when you played out on tour. To me, it's like going from hitting rocks to Super Bowls. How did the progression feel to you as the golf ball evolved over time? Well, it, it you use the exact term that I use on a daily basis, Chris. The current balls are like Super Bowl. They are so hot, it is crazy. And amateurs want to say, oh, it's all the technology with the clubs. Let me tell you what, it, you can't tell me that it's not the ball. Jack Nicholas has been saying it since the 80s. And you got guys like Ricky Fowler that are five foot eight that are flying at 290 in the air, hitting at 315 with roll. I mean, come on. It's crazy. My, from the time I was 15 years old till the time I retired on the Champions Tour at 55 or 56, my seven iron was 155, period. And the guys today are hitting 190 and 200, you know, and, and it, I understand and I would be the first to say that the kids today are incredibly fit. I mean, they're all working with trainers. They're working with nutritionists. They're stretching. They're doing yoga this and that, but come on. The the average club head speed on the PGA Tour in 1990 was 111. The average club head speed on the PGA Tour today is, guess what? 111, 112. So, you tell me how the heck they're hitting at 50 and 60 yards farther. You know, we had, we had bombers during my era, but the way I was raised to play golf and growing up, before I had formal teaching, dad would always say, son, let the club do the work. You know, and if you remember, yeah. I had pretty, pretty nice rhythm. You know, uh, when I got quick, that's, that's when I was home on Friday night, missing the cut. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was told when I was growing up. Yeah. And Chris, I think the game's going in the wrong direction. And I, I have not met Bryson DeChambeau. I'm sure he's a, a super nice guy. And, yes, he's very talented. But, you know, the bottom line, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's still about getting it in the hole in the fewest number of strokes. <laughs> Rumor has it that's still how the game is played. Well, you know, I've been out of the game. 
You know, I thought maybe they had changed the game or something, you know, but it's it's like every two years, you know, we, we have the Georgia Bulldog Letterman's Day and, and uh, you know, Kisner and Russell and Kirk and Brendan Todd, everybody comes back and Bubba. And every time I get around Bubba, I tell him I still hit it as far as you. It just takes me two times now. <laughs> a driver in a full wedge, I can keep it up with Bubba. <laughs> uh, Tim, did did you mess around with different equipment and different golf balls? You know, when you were on tour, did you, you know, let me let me try this one, let me try that one to find one that you like better, or or were you a a brand loyalist? I was pretty much a brand loyalist. I left Titleist for MaxFly, and Titleist kind of never forgave me, uh, although I went back with them on the Champions Tour. But um, I went I, I went with Ping I, back when Wilson was the company in the world. It was Callaway, TaylorMade, Ping combined. You know, I was with them early, you know, and then Ping approached me, and I'm, and I'm like, well, send me a set in the off season and I'll hit them and I'll let y'all know, you know, and I hit them and it was like, wow, I kind of like these. And I felt like with my great iron play, they made me that much better because I didn't miss hit many irons, but if you had the most forgiving club in the world on top of that, it was like, this is a no brainer, but you know, Invariably, over the years, I still t- hear hear stories of guys that worked at the factory. People would come into the factory. With, you know, Carson had a, a a rule that he would work on anybody's club. Didn't matter if they were Taylor made, Callaway, whatever. You know, he would have his guys work on them free of charge. But then, obviously, the staff players, you know, they rolled out the carpet for us. And every year during the Phoenix Open, you know, I'd drive 20 minutes over to to the factory. And I'd get my grips changed and my loft and lies checked. And invariably, they'd tell me stories. They'd be like, you know, we've had 25 guys come through here in the last year that all say, seriously, tell us what Tim does different. What kind of secret does he have with his clubs? And they're like, we see him one time a year and we change his grips and we check his lofts and lies. And they're like, oh, come on. And they're like, no, he don't mess with his clubs. And I just always, uh, even years before, you know, I'm avid archer. I love my archery. Years before I ever picked up a bow and arrow, I always said, you know, it's not the arrow, it's the Indian. You know, and, uh, you know, that's kind of in the same, you know, guys that blame their clubs are the same guys that blame their caddy when they hit it fat and it goes in the water. You know, and they're on TV yelling at their caddy and giving him a dirty look like you pulled the wrong club. You know, what's the caddy going to say on TV? No, you laid the side over it. You hit it fat. That's why I went in the water. But I was was never much of a tinkerer, Chris. I I was just never much of a tinkerer. You know, I got my stuff. I played with it. And as long as I didn't get, get well cards from my banker, I knew I was doing good. Tim, in, in this month's edition of Golf Magazine, uh, Sergio Garcia is interviewed, and he said he could be more creative back in the 90s and the early part of the 2000s than he can now, and that's something that he feels like is missing from today's game. You know, players used to have to play with more imagination and, 
and control their golf ball better. And you don't have to do that as much now because we talk about the golf ball. It goes farther and also goes straighter than it used to go. Is that a, is that a sort of a lost art, the artistry of, of, you know, having imagination out on the golf course and then having to figure out how you were going to carve this one into this hole or that hole or around a bend and that sort of thing? Great question and a great observation on your part, Chris. I tell you, your, your point on, but think about it in its simplest term. The golf ball is designed to go straight. The clubs are designed to go straight. And you're trying to tell it, heck no, I'm going to cut you 25 yards around that corner. And they're both saying, you think you are? Watch this. You know, it, that's what blows me away about Bubba. How, how far he can cut it and draw it with seven eyes not driver and three wood, because the ball is designed to go straight. The clubs are designed to go straight. You know, I mean, we're just a handful of players in the world that play professionally. These companies stay open selling them to amateurs. Well, every amateur wants to hit it straighter. Every amateur wants to hit it farther. You know, and a, a few years ago, um, you know, when the golf industry was stagnant, and they had taken the metal woods to right on the line between legal and illegal with the trampoline effect of the faces and this and that. It was like somebody said, well, what are we going to do now? You know, we're going to go out of business because we can't do anything else. And some engineers said, well, why don't we do the same thing with irons? There you go. So now you got irons. You got seven irons that are five and a half irons in my generation. And they, take the weight out behind the face, lower the center of gravity, and the ball shoots up in the air and goes nine miles. But, you know, it's funny. I'll pick up one of my buddy's clubs, and it'll say seven iron on it. But I'm like, I don't care what it says on it. It's a strong six iron. You know, I mean, my eyes have looked at golf ball, I mean, at clubs since I was seven years old. You know, it's got seven stamped on it, but it's like, you know what, if I could play again, I'm too old for that technology. I'd have to learn how to play all over again. So <laughs> I'm sticking with what I got. You can make fun of me about hitting it short, but I'm sticking with what I got probably. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, just a couple more before I, I let you go. And I, I'm curious, um, how many times during the course of of the season – did you have your A game? How many tournaments did you play in that you had your A game? And were those the ones that you won? Or were you able to scratch it out and, you know, get a win or get a uh, top 10 with your B or C game? Yeah, you could. I mean, as you know, I, I, I never, I was never considered a great putter. Obviously, you know how I hit the ball, but, um, the, if I could change one thing in my career, if I could live it over again, I would never listen to anybody that said I couldn't putt, and I would never tell myself I couldn't putt. But I was getting back to your question. I would say I tell amateurs all the time, what you don't understand is 97, 98% of the time, we're not happy. Something is wrong. You know, either you're driving it great and ironing it great, and you can't hit a tractor trailer with your putter, or, you know, there's something missing. You're ironing it great, but you're driving it, you know, out of play here and there. There's really very few times that you're hit on all cylinders, and that shows you the crazy talent of, say, Tiger, you know, that won 
I think twenty percent of the time of all the tournaments he played in. Only Onik has a higher winning percentage than Tiger. She's twenty three percent. But <clears throat> Tiger was that good that he could have his B minus game and still win. And that's that never happened for Tim Simpson, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, I got to get a playing lesson before I let you go. And, and I, I, really on the mental side of the game, for most of us weekend warriors, when we get on the tee or even when we're out in the fairways, we, we see where the trouble is. I don't want to hit it left here. I don't want to hit it right. There's trees. There's water over here, all that sort of stuff. Do you guys notice that sort of thing? Or are you so laser focused on where I want the ball to go? The, the trouble that's out there, it really isn't, you know, creeping into, into your mind. You know, there's where I had an advantage. Chris, I can't explain it. Um, I was very ADHD as a child. Uh, I was counting the minutes for recess. I wasn't paying any attention to the math equation. But how I overcame that and developed the level of focus and concentration that I had during my career, I don't know. But part of my great ball striking was even the great Hall of Famers they were aiming at a tree or at the corner of a house. And I would, I could pick out one discolored limb or, or discolored leaf on that edge of that tree at 260 yards away. And that was my target. And I always believed in the old saying of aim small, miss small. And I believe it's just like archery. If you have a five foot target and you're 50 yards away, if you aim at the target, what chance do you have of hitting the five-inch bullseye? Obviously, not much. But if you aim intently at the bullseye, you're pretty much guaranteed of hitting the target. So I think that kind of answers your question, hopefully, in that 120% of my focus was on where I wanted that ball to go. I mean, I just, it was like a laser. And I truly believe that the mind is is the strongest muscle in the body, strongest meaning most powerful. Maybe it's not as strong as your quads say, but I'm telling you what: if 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 you focus on it intently with your mind, your subconscious will do everything within its power to get it there. Tim, before I let you go, is there a way for our listeners to stay up to date with the great things you're doing? They may be listening in and have a junior player that needs to get lessons from Tim Simpson, or they just, you know, they just love, you know, you as a, as a golfer and as a person, they want to stay up to date with you. Is there a way for our, our folks to do that? Well, I'm not much on Facebook anymore, but I've got, uh, the, the, I've got two Tim Simpson accounts. The one with one of my granddaughters is how they can reach me on Facebook. And then I've, uh, I took down my website this year because I'm too old to stand out in hundred degree heat and <laughs> give them lessons. <laughs> but but uh, if somebody w- wants some help, they can email me at timbogolf99 at gmail.com. That's a second email I have. Or they can call Harbor Club, and they'll give them my number, and they can call me. You know, I, I love teaching. I, ha- I mean, I was teaching at Ansley Golf Club when I was 14, teaching amateurs, you know, that I played with. I've just always been intrigued with it, and I think we overcomplicate it. I don't think. I had the most beautiful swing in the world. 
Payne Stewart, Tom Percher, Tom Weisskopf were much prettier, but I had one of the simplest swings in the world that repeated over and over and over. And that's what it's all about, just creating a golf swing that will repeat. And then work on your short game and putting, and you got it made, brother. There you go. Tim, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I always love spending time with you. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon. Well, Chris, I always enjoy it, and I wish I could be more on more than once a year. It's always fun, and you're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golfing community. And you got carte blanche with me. Pick up the phone and call me and come on down, and I'll help you. I'll try to play with you. I can't promise I will, but I'll sure help you. Free of charge. I appreciate you, my friend. You're the best. Stay safe, Tim. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Great talking to you. Bye-bye. See you, Tim. That's a great Tim Simpson. Doesn't get better than that, folks. Holy cow. What a great guy. I told you right in his intro he's a great guy, and he showed you again why. But, um, boy. What a great career he had. What a, he made downplay his swing a little bit. He had a beautiful swing. Such great tempo. That's why he was a great ball striker. So, um, look forward to, I'm going to take him up on that. I'm going to go down there and get a lesson from Tim. Hopefully, uh, improve my game. Goodness knows after what I put on display with my buddies up at the Macklemore needs a lot of help. And I'm sure Tim Simpson's the guy to do it. So I look forward to catching up with him again real soon. Mm-hmm. 